Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Lion of Vienna Suite podcast, episode 133. My name is Tom Jenkins, and joining me this evening are two regulars of the pod, James Jarvis and the returning Will Jones. It's great having you back, lads, but I'm very pleased to say that we also have a very special guest joining us this evening. It's a real pleasure for me to introduce you, a man who is synonymous with some of the much happier times we've seen at the club in recent years. Please welcome Stuart Holden. Stuart, thank you very much for joining us. It's a real treat Boys, to speak to you. Yeah. How are you doing? Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting time right now in in the world, and I'm I'm sitting here in Los Angeles, which is where I live now. I moved back here after uh, leaving Bolton in 2014, and uh, you know, I'm on home shelter. They're calling it here in California, where pretty much we're confined to our house for the next two weeks. So this comes as a much needed break uh, to to chat about football and and uh, Bolton, uh, which is a club that you know very dear to my heart as well. No, it's, it's fantastic to speak to you. I'm pleased we can alleviate some of the boredom whilst being at home. Um, and as you've seen, Stuart, from all the Twitter questions you've received and all the messages that I'm sure you get on Twitter all the time, uh, you're a very, very popular figure amongst the Bolton faithful. Is it, is it something difficult to explain to people back home that there is a small town in the north of England that heralds you as one of their heroes? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, the Premier League's become so popular here in the United States. And I, I know it was popular when when I was playing over there, but I always laugh at, um, well, I don't laugh. I cry probably at the same time. They, you know, trying to tell people, uh, when they say, Oh, did you, where did you play uh, guy people that I meet? And I say, Oh, I played in the premier league. What team, uh, Bolton wonder. And they're like, Oh, what, what team's that? And I'm like, Oh, it's the, it's the best club you probably never heard about. Now the fact that, you know, in, in recent years, just the plight of the club and going to the championship and league one and, you know, the, the relegations and the promotions and relegations again. And it seems that, you know, it's inevitable they're going to be in League Two. But, you know, it, it, it really was such a full circle uh, moment in my life to sign with Bolton. And I know we'll get into it a little bit. But my granddad, you know, lived 20 minutes from the uh, from the Reebok. And, um, you know, my dad was born 25 minutes from where Bolton was. And it, there, there was just so many different parts of my life that felt and came together in uh, a club in the in you know, the northwest of England that had just so much, uh, you know, a, a, a big part of my life that I spent there and, and will forever uh, remember. Uh, you talk about, obviously, the uh, aspects of linking your family to the club. When uh, the move sort of came about to Baltimore, Owen Cole tried to sign you, did it almost come across as a bit of fate, maybe something that you had to then try and pursue? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the, the story of that as well is, um, you know, Owen Coyle had reached out to me, well, my agent, when I was playing for the Houston Dynamo, and he was still at Burnley. So, I, you know, I landed uh, in England uh, and had two days of training with Burnley, and then Owen Coyle left the next day to go to Bolton, and I'm sitting in, in a hotel now in Manchester, and I get a call from my agent, and I'm saying, well, what does that mean for me? Like, am I, am I staying at Burnley, or am I going with him to Bolton? And uh, so it took a couple of days to figure all that out. And then we decided that uh, Owen Coyle said he'd still like to have me come into Bolton, which for me was, uh, you know, was was really exciting. Um, and then, you know, I turned up on essentially Coyle's first day at Bolton Wanderers training. And I think that I, that actually helped me in that I was on a level playing field with all the other players because he hadn't seen any of them in training at any point. He'd only seen them on on in matches, and it gave me a chance to really just make a good first impression along with uh, everybody else. And you know, I earned a contract from that, which was uh, which which turned out well. Yeah, I, I know. Obviously, before um, Houston, you uh, were at Sunderland very very briefly, and obviously that didn't work out because of uh, you know a pretty nasty incident um, at a bar, wasn't it? You, you had a, a 
sort of like a broken eye socket. Yeah, I was, yeah, that, I was right? knocked out, knocked out cold on the streets. I, I think that was a sign that I, I did not belong uh, belong in the northeast of England. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you needed a bit more preparation back home before coming. Again. <laughs> yeah, they're very, I, I learned, very a, I learned people, a few though. harsh lessons in in my time in England. One was. Uh, you know, don't don't chat shit to people when you've had a few pints and they have two on the streets <laughs> of Newcastle. Uh, the other one was don't try to go in for a tackle with a six foot four center half uh, who's trying to smash my leg into pieces. <laughs> yeah, you got me onto all of the negative stuff already, Stuart. I was hoping to get yeah, into that no. a little bit later. <laughs> You know, I, I can laugh about it now, you know, so it, it's uh, we'll, we'll talk about this later, too. But I'll, I'll end up jumping around. But just, you know, the way I've looked back at life now and I look at all these different moments and so many positives have, have come out of them. And I look back on my time in, in the UK very, very fondly, especially Bolton. Just, the, you know, the way uh, you were talking about it a little bit, just the way that uh, I was almost welcomed in. And, uh, you know, I don't think many people knew that much about me. You might. Uh, might be able to have give me a little bit more perspective on that because I didn't really read up on, you know, when I first got to the club. I'll, I give Mark Isles shit all the time from the Bolton News. <laughs> <laughs> you know, preseason, I think my first season there, I started in the middle uh, against the Spanish team, I'm forgetting, at the Reebok. And, you know, I played quite well in that game, but not, you know, it wasn't one of my best games. But Mark Isles put this preview, I think, heading into the season, and he said, you know, we've got Fab Mwamba, Jack Wilshere is coming on loan, and the midfield looks good except for this slight American in the middle. I'm not really sure he can <laughs> handle the, you know, the physicality of the Premier League. And I remember dinging him up for that a few times because I, I really like Mark. I think he does a great job reporting. And, um, I, you know, we, we've laughed about it since. I said, that worked out all right, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, Mark, Mark's certainly one of the good guys. I think, obviously, when you came in, that was the uh, January of 2010, and then, uh, you, did you not? You got another injury in that point, so it sort of curtailed your start um, at, at Bolton. Do, do you think that that maybe, obviously, doesn't help getting injured? But do you think that having that sort of half a season to then start 2010-11, uh, like the way you did, you know, like a like a freight train? Do you think maybe having that adjustment period was quite useful to you? Because I know obviously the MLS has improved in recent years, but maybe back then, you know, the adjustment from MLS to Premier League isn't quite wasn't quite the same. Yeah, I think there was a lot of factors at work for me. So I, I came in, uh, signed with Bolton. It was on a, sh it was on a, the, the contract I'd signed was six month with a, with an option for a year extension. So I was only really signed through the end of the season at that point. And it, it's tough when you're in a relegation battle. You're a new player. You're getting used to a new league. You're trying to get, you know, prove that you can handle the speed and the physicality. Owen Coyle's a new coach. He's under pressure to win. Um, so I, I wasn't even in the match day squad, I think, for the first two or three months. And I actually got my first chance, I remember, in the Cup, the League Cup, because we drew it home. I was on the bench that game. We drew it home against Tottenham. It meant we had the replay away from home at White Hart Lane. And at that following weekend, we were supposed to play Wolves in you know, kind of a six-pointer at home. And so Owen Coyle said to me, he says, hey, I'm going to give you my, give you your first game. You've been training well. You look fit. You look like you can handle that. This was probably three months, I think, into after signing. Uh, and so I remember that game. I was so jacked up and just ready to go. Uh, I think we lost 3-0 on the night. Jermaine uh, Defoe scored two goals. But I remember just playing really well and feeling really good on the field. And I think adding an element to the team that we didn't really have at that point and you know, connecting in midfield, getting back in front, uh, you know, defending set pieces. Um, so I played that game. I, I wasn't sure if I'd done enough to, to be involved against Wolves at the weekend. And then, uh, you know, before kickoff, probably an hour and a half is when Coyle would give his team. Uh, and so he came in, 
he pulled me out separately and he said, how do your legs feel? And I, you know, of course I was tired from the game two days before, but I was never going to say I was not, you know, ready to play. And he said, okay. Uh, I said, legs feel good gaffa. And he said, okay, you're starting today. <laughs> like, what? what do you mean I'm starting? I, I hadn't even been in the team uh, up to this point. And, uh, you know, that game we won one nil. I think I put the corner in for Zat Knight scored. I remember and, it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I think you know I got voted uh, man of the match, and I just felt like I just felt so good and so fit, and and then of course I leave the next day, go on international duty. Nigel De Jong breaks my leg for uh, against the United States, and uh, you know I give Owen Coyle a lot of credit and the and the chairman uh, Phil Gardside because they both called me within hours of of me finding out that I broke in my leg and you know was going to miss uh, you know about six to eight weeks or something, and they both said, look. We don't want you to worry. We know your contract's coming up at the end of the season. Season end of the season is two months away, and we want to let you know we're going to take your option. And we've seen enough from you and know enough from you that when you when you get back from the summer after the World Cup, then we want to sign you to a new contract, a long term extension. And you know that moment meant a lot to me because at, when I had the injury at Sunderland when I was younger, uh, I my contract was up. We got promoted, and I was left with uh, with pretty much nothing. That's how I ended up going back to the United States. So. I give a lot of credit to uh, the way that Bolton handled that and the way that Owen Coyle really just, you know, b- made me feel wanted and that really helped me kick on to that to that next phase. A lot I of people to say talk about something. Owen. Sorry, feel, feel free to go ahead, mate. Sorry, mate. I was just going to say something that's so particularly heartwarming about you reminiscing just generally over the times was, was that you, you refer to, to the ground still as the Reebok. Uh, I, I think that's the <laughs> hero. Um, the, 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 <laughs> to call it anything else is just it's forbidden now I uh, know uh, it, it, it was the Macron and then it was the University of it's now the University of Bolton uh, Stadium or something right it's the Reebok yeah, yeah. for me it is. Cool. it's Reebok always the Reebok us, mate. we grew up with that yeah. it's, it's, it's anonymous with the good times that's the thing I think the changing of the stadium name etc cetera, etc cetera, sort of it's when the rot started to set in which is why we are where we are now so calling it the Reebok I think harks back to a happier time um, under Coil People talk a lot. We've had um, Kevin Davis on the podcast and then other people who've sort of spoken about Cole and his methods in the change room. Did you did you find his training regime something that was a little bit odd? Because a lot of people have talked about, you know, table tennis tournaments and things like that that weren't necessarily conducive to creating, um, you know, a good footballing side. But the atmosphere seemed to be quite good amongst the players who played for him at the time. Yeah, you know, Owen Coyle, um, I, I say this to people because he ended up... Uh, one of my former teams as well, Houston Dynamo, and I, I was called a lot about Owen Cole. You know, I, I have to have a, um, I, I have a soft spot for for Coily because he he really was uh, believed in me. He gave me opportunities, and from those opportunities, I was able to, to succeed. And what I would say for him, he's not he's not a tactical coach. I think everybody that's followed the club and you know has has seen enough matches was you know he's not out there doing X's and O's. You know. Uh, detailed game plans on ways to play. He he was a motivator. He was um, he was a coach that, you know, pushed the right buttons that would, would that developed a, a type of team camaraderie. And and while I think from the outside that that's perhaps seen perceived and things aren't going well as a bad thing. And and I would say that I think uh, Owen Coyle when when things weren't well, he had an inability to at times to find to find the right solutions that the team needed. And you know the it, you were one of his guys. You were one of his guys. He would get the most out of that group. And I think back to that season that I was injured in 2010-11. I mean, going into March, I think we were like fifth or sixth place in the league. 
Um, and that's and, and that's not by chance. I mean, that's you know we were pulling late winners, and Johan was scoring, and Kevin Davis, Ivan Klasnich was scoring off the bench. Fab and you know myself, we had Gaz Cahill and Zach. You know, but so the table tennis and and all that other stuff, I, I actually enjoy because I'm very <laughs> very much team team guy and and building a team culture and one that fosters an environment that you become one of. Did I come in and I learn about you know a, a high level of football? Probably not. Um, I would say that you know when I would go to the U.S. national team, I had a coach in Bob Bradley that had a short stint in England, but he was one of the best coaches that I I've ever had. He taught me a lot about you know certain moments in games and but then i would come back to the uk and come back to bolton and it would be about he believed he had a group that was good enough and players that were guys and so you know i understand that his his training was rubbish and and stuff i i could we have done a little bit more i think as far as um you know uh shape and pattern of play and yes of course i I think we could have probably spent more time on that but at the same time i would buzz off and playing seven asides and you know playing for a mars bar and a a can of (laughs) great football nutrition clearly yeah and he was in every finishing drill with you because he just loved the game of football so um it it was a shame the way that it, it ended up because i think had that season if we'd finished in a good spot in the Premier League, we would have had a bit more money to spend, and you know it's easy to look back on things, right? But you know it was such a disappointing end that season, the finish 14th or whatever we did. No, it was it was awful. I remember obviously after the uh, the Stoke fiasco, we had the five losses in the league. After we beat Arsenal, of course, but then five straight losses to teams that we really, really should have been beating. And you're right, you know, at the time of your injury at Man United, we were seventh in the league, and um, you know we'd beaten Newcastle five one, we'd beaten Spurs four two, you know, some really, really good results. How far do you think that side could have gone if we'd have had you playing regularly or not had injuries to Mark Davis or things like that? I, I genuinely believe that that was a really, really good team that we had. I mean, um, I think of when we played the top sides, um, some of the games um, that, that I just felt like we were brilliant. You know, I think Manchester United at home and we were seconds away if I hadn't let my mark go and Michael Owen flicked the header home in the last minute to equalize and gutted at that. Um, but, you know, we went toe-to-toe with Chelsea and United and, um, you know, the big sides. And, you know, I remember a home performance we had against Newcastle where Johan and, and Kevin Davis were on fire. Mark Petrov was playing so well. And Greta Steinson against uh, Spurs that game and Gareth Bale was in top form and he absolutely kicked them off the park. And, you know, they had Modric and crouch and uh, you know a, a big big talented squad and we smashed them at home and I, I talked to you know Tim Howard who was at Everton and I talked to him and, and other players that I played against or Clint Dempsey American guys on other teams and they used to say that everybody on their teams would talk about playing that Bolton team that year and just saying what you know what a difficult proposition because we could play direct and physical but yet when the ball was down on the ground, you know, we could possess it, we could move it. There was just bags of energy coming throughout the team and you never felt like you had a moment to breathe. And and that was kind of the highest compliment, I think, of that our team played. Exactly. I, I, don't you find it crazy that you, you played against the likes of Luka Modric and so on when you had the training regimes of, of you know, table tennis and shoe? I'm so glad you made that reference for us. I'm, <laughs> I'd much rather you make it for us than the nose have to bring it up. But it, it's crazy to think that everyone still, you know, hated playing against us. And I think we're quite typically recognised for that. And I think it's something we, we almost pride ourselves on now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I think um, 
you, you had to recognize the realities of the you know Bolton weren't spending yeah you know I think our highest signing was probably Martin um, Johan Almander is that right um, and yeah, um, we were signing for like twelve billion or something like that a yeah years so before we, you we were spending twenty twenty fifty million on on players and stuff like that so you know we 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 were our, our strength was in the in the collective but was still with a lot of talent I can't believe I've left off uh, Chung Young Lee who was one of my favorite players oh, to play amazing. with just such clever. You know, he's so, so, so smart and technical and, you know, half the time, uh, I, I was used to remember this in the team talk before the games, Owen Coyle would go around the, the dressing room. He's very superstitious manager. I'm sure you've heard this, you know, he'd, he'd, oh, cool, yeah. he'd walk the length of the pitch. He'd do this. He'd, he'd talk to the same guys. He'd say the same stuff. And, you know, say, you see when it's on, kick it long, when it's not play out. And I could almost recite it to you, but he would get <laughs> to and he'd tell, he would tell Chungi, um, you know, I need you to come inside. I need you to run at the defender one on one. He would speak so fast in his, you know, his Scottish brogue. Um, and then Chungi would just nod his head, and then he would look at me as soon as Coily was done, and he goes, "Stu, what did he say?" <laughs> <laughs> he said, clear, clear, clearly, Chungi was a natural player anyway, because it didn't seem to stop him whatsoever. I, I would say to Chungi, I said, "Don't, don't, don't. Doesn't matter anyways, mate. Just do what you do. You're, you're perfectly fine." <laughs> do, do you think that's one of the best? Midfields that you've been a part of of Chungi, yourself, Fab Mwamba, and Martin Petrov, because we certainly remember it very, very fondly. Oh yeah, um, ma- massively. I mean that that that, uh, that that midfield just had such a nice uh, you know balance to it, and throw uh, you know Matt Taylor get in there as well. But I, Mark I think Davis as well was one of my favorite players at the time. Yeah, well. Mark Davis. Oh my God, such a talented player. Um, shame about his injuries as well. You know, we, him and I spent a lot of time together in the in the training room having banter because we just couldn't bloody stay fit for uh, horrible <laughs> reasons. Um, and no, and then yeah, no, I agree. Chung Chung Young Lee, myself, Fab Mwamba, Martin Petrov. I I would on on a given day stack that midfield up against you know almost any in the Premier League at that time. The way that we were playing and how informed we were as a unit and, and just our understanding of, of how we wanted to play and what our style of play was and, you know, all the little combinations and ways that we could, uh, you know, break down opponents. And I love playing with Fab because Fab didn't want the ball as much and he was just quite happy doing all the, uh, the dirty work you could say. Um, <laughs> and you know, would, would almost like get out of space so I could get into space to get the ball. And, uh, you know, we would laugh actually coming in on the next day and looking at the board and seeing our stats. And I think sometimes I would end up running, you know, a ha- uh, almost double his running. And he would be like, well, then stop wanting the ball so much. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where we want you, mate. That's definitely where we want you. Yeah, it's I think it's come to that point in the podcast, Stu, where we have to address the probably the highlight of your Bolton career, which is, of course, that goal against Blackburn. Now, I know... You must watch this video thousands and thousands of times. Uh, reminded it on Twitter, basically, and anytime your name's mentioned in connection with Bolton. But I, I would love to hear what was going through your head at the time and then the aftermath of such an iconic moment. Because that, that, for me, is possibly one of my favourite moments following the clubs. I'm sure it is for uh, most people. Actually, which goal are you talking about? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I don't think anyone. The Wolves one, Stuart. The Wolves one. Yeah, I mean... That 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 moment, that goal, uh, is is still to date one of the the best moments of of my entire life, not just my my footballing career. Because uh, I'd actually I think I'd just come back from a, a quad pool and I'd only missed one game and came back, 
the, you know, for it to be the derby and just the energy of, of those types of games anyways, and we were down a man, Fab scored, thinking we were going to win 1-0, and then Juve scores that goal. And I just remember, you know, being deflated and then straight away thinking, come on, this one's this one's not done yet. And, you know, the ball gets passed back. It gets out to Sam Ricketts, and I just bomb forward. And, you know, Kevin Davis manhandles Ryan Nelson. One of my favorite clips is him just hitting the deck like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> He's poetry and in motion. Kevin Davis just did Kevin Davis things. <laughs> No, he did. I mean, he, Kevin Davis, pe- people would think he's probably six foot six by, you know, but the way he would play. But seriously, I mean, he's he's probably six one or maybe six foot. He's not that tall, but he just he's one of the best players I've ever played with that could use his body so effectively. A, to draw fouls. B, you know, just to get in front of defenders and to time his headers so well. And, and the other one is just, you know, recognizing then and this was a perfect example of on this goal, uh, you know, the, the perfectly cushioned header to me after knocking a guy to the floor, he's still a little bit off balance and he flicks it into my path. And, you know, th- this moment when I replayed in my head or even in that moment when, when I, when I scored the goal, it was all just so slow motion. It just kind of rolled off my chest onto my left foot. And when it hit the back of the net, it's, you, you know, it's, it was one of two moments in my footballing career where I essentially blacked out. Like I don't remember the next 30 seconds because it was just a blur and I was running and it was just pure pandemonium. And I could see the fans behind the goal just going absolutely nuts. And I'm trying to stay on my feet and Matt Taylor's grabbing me and throwing me to the ground. And, you know, then the next thing, you know, the lads are on top of me and I'm just screaming and, uh, you know, get up and have that celebration with Paul Robinson, which I yeah, think we're gonna you need guys... an explanation there, Stu, because I've still not worked out what <laughs> yeah. I was trying to do. No idea what well, the reference is. It was, a big, it was a big inside joke from the uh, the, the, the group on uh, our kit man. Uh, his name was Tony. And and Tony was a little bit heavier set. And, and sometimes, one time actually, it was an away game. He was going to put his sock on and he fell over, like just kind of rolled to the side. <laughs> so... That was us recreating his role where we were both like trying to get the sock on and then we both just did this slow tip over and, you know, Tony was laughing his head off because he, the guys would banter him about it all the time. And I love that that's just the slow-mo uh, of me and Robbo doing that, you know, because all the lads would do it in the training ground and I did it in the game and they just went nuts. But yeah, no, that was that was such a great moment for me. And, and uh, whenever it's sent out on Twitter, I, I always feel like it's my duty to just repost it. I'm sure everyone that follows me that's not a Bolton fan is probably sick of it and is thinking, look at this prick just posting his goal. <laughs> <laughs> just milk it. It's jealousy. Jealousy's you know what? I'm Stuart. not bothered. I'm going to keep posting it. <laughs> I've, I've literally got it here on repeat now from the announcement that we made earlier that you were coming on tonight. And I'm just watching it now. And it's just, it makes me smile every time I watch it. Yeah. it it's no, just I, amazing. I, I, it's 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 really a special goal to me, and uh, it's a shame personally that I wasn't able to have more of those. But um, you know that that's one that I'll never forget. I'll be telling my daughter about it in ten years, and she'll just be telling me to shut up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think another goal that you were involved in, which was particularly memorable, and I think Tom referenced obviously the FA Cup run earlier and your relationship with Chungi particularly as well, playing wise, um, and obviously your, your contribution particularly in that goal and and, and the celebration as well. Uh, you know, to to win three two and that that downward header uh, from Chungi and you know the the picture of the of the three of you, you and Kevin Davis and it, it, it's so it just it's like it's yesterday and that's another moment where I think we just have to to ask for your recollection on that because that was just another blackout moment I would presume. 
Yeah, I think I made a either an overlapping run or I, I I don't exactly remember, but I won the ball back, I think, and then it ends up being you know stood up for for Chung Yu, flicks it in the back post, and that was right in front of the Bolton fans, uh, and it was just fin- I mean, talk about scenes of just. <laughs> It was a near-death experience for me. I wasn't old enough to be able to handle myself in that kind of limbs, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just pure chaos uh, again of, you know, those are the moments as as players in, you know, it it sounds cliche, but it's so true in that, you know, the the fans amplify that, right? Like, that's really important for us, and we're going to be on to the semifinal, but it's it's that combined with the hysteria and like seeing what that means to people that have supported this club for so long and to be able to share those those moments and those experiences together because like ultimately at the end of the day we play a game of football you know as as footballers we get paid to to play and you know as fans you you come and you support and you know you live and die by these moments but like you share those moments that's what we all share collectively and we forever will and that you know we're representing the club that the club that's owned by the fans is in in an essence and you know i remember seeing that entire stand at at birmingham just packed with with bolton fans that had traveled uh traveled down for it and you know the the chance of uh you know we're on the way to wembley and all all that stuff like just just so great, you know, and I, I'm obviously, I know we're going to probably get to it right after this, but the fact that, you know, I didn't get to play in the semifinal at Wembley, I was just absolutely gutted about because I think that we would have beaten Stoke and we would have been in an FA Cup final, which would have been surreal to uh, to have played in. It's all because you weren't playing this year. That, that's the whole reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess I, I guess you can say that, but <laughs> I don't want to come across It's, it's the only positive we can draw from it. It's the only way we can look at it like oh, yeah, I think that was one of the mistakes Coyle made actually in that game and in, in playing Johan in, in midfield. And we didn't have many options. I don't remember if Mark Davis was fit or if he didn't want to or if he played Mark Davis. Maybe he played him wide. I, I don't remember the team that day, but I just I'm, remember I'm Johan Sparky was injured. That was the that was the problem because again, you know, yeah, just the lack of energy in that midfield that you two would have provided. I think I think that was where the issue started. And, and and that's not a that's not a knock on Johan. He's not a he's not a center midfielder. Johan's exactly, exactly. You don't put a square peg in a round hole in a massive semi-final. Completely out of place there. You know, didn't did, doesn't have the the skill set to match playing in that position against, especially against a team like Stoke that were just you know very physical themselves and played very direct under Pulis. How how difficult was it for you just watching that from the sidelines? You know, uh, so we played uh, United between uh, between those games, and then I got injured. Uh, it was a couple weeks, I think, before the semifinal. And then, you know, I went down to London with the team. We we had a, um, I think this is the uh, the night that was in Kevin Davis's wife's book or something. Is that right? Um, uh, about the lads having a night out or uh, down in London or having a big dinner that turned into a few drinks, like. You know, I think the week or something before, maybe the week and a half before the the game, I don't remember. But then I I flew home to the U.S. to have um, some time with my family uh, because I I couldn't do anything. I was on crutches, non-weight bearing, wasn't even able to put my foot down. I think it was another week to the game. And so I flew home from London. I was watching that game on my couch in uh, in Texas and just like I, I can't explain that feeling. It was so helpless and. Uh, just sitting there with you know my leg up on a on the couch with crutches and an ice pack and just watching us just get absolutely throttled and not look anything like 
the team that we had been all season long and not just the way, not just the, that we lost, but the way that we lost, I think was so devastating and really just turned that season downward from there. The team lost its confidence. You know, we couldn't really get much higher at that point. And then it was just kind of free falling. You know, I think the guys lost a bit of momentum and just, just realizing that the wind had been taken out of our sails in, in that FA cup semifinal. No, it, it still remains one of one of the worst memories of my life. That just seeing, you know, the the thing is, when you go to the Wembley, if you're going to watch England, you don't really have that kind of emotional attachment. But when it's the first time, firstly for my life, certainly that you go to the new Wembley and it's your team that you're seeing there, it's such a moment of pride, and to sort of have it taken away from you in that way was was just so difficult. I, I've never watched the game back since then, and I'm sure it's the same for you because I, I I don't, you know, it's something that I sort of want to just forget. But I, I do believe, and I'm sure the lads would agree with me here, that you know having you in that midfield would have made it would have made a huge difference, which is of course why there's so much anger directed to Johnny Evans on Twitter after what he did to you at Manchester United. <laughs> Let loose, oh, Let loose yeah. dude. Yeah, I, I've, got, I've got to ask you, Stu. I, I, I'm sure you've already said that there's sort of a bit of you know no no regrets as it were because you had such a good time in England aside from that. But that is, was there any kind of anger towards him? Is there any kind of you know feeling towards what happened that day? Yeah, you know, I'm a um, I'm a I'm a glass half full guy. I'm sure you 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 would draw that from me. I hope you would, anyways. At sure, least, but, yeah. but, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm very uh, very look at the positives in life, and and um, in, in the immediate aftermath, my so I mean, I'll I'll run you through kind of what happened, and you know, the the details and ins and outs because I know it was a big moment. But like, so I, I got the injury, the tackle. Chungy plays the pass to me. Uh, the ball kind of skips on the turf. I think I can get there. Um, I make a play because I'm thinking it's nil-nil at Old Trafford in the 80th minute. If I get through here, I'm going to score the winning goal and we're going to beat them 1-0. And, you know, I kind of come in from the side. I know there's a picture out there. It looks like I'm kind of going studs up at him, but I'm I'm definitely coming at the tackle from the side. And Johnny Evans just comes straight over the top, two studs straight into my knee. Um and you know, at that point, it was I was just in body shock, and my adrenaline was pumping. But I could see into my knee. I mean, there, I think there's the picture where Johan's like over the top of me, and I'm like trying to hold the gap of my knee shut. Um, so I, you know, I get stretchered off, devastated, uh, not really sure what's going on. Get into the back room. You know, the doctor checks me out, and they say, "Well, good news. It doesn't look like your leg's broken." And I was like, "Oh, that's great." So, you know, I'll probably just be a couple weeks, get it stitched up, uh, and then they take me to the local hospital in the ambulance just to get some scans to make sure. And then it was one of those scans where, like, there's 20 people outside the room, and they're all kind of like looking at me and looking at the thing and looking at me and looking at the X-ray. And that's for the moment where I was like, ah, "I'm not really sure this is good news mm-hmm. here." Nobody wanted to tell you. Yeah, so then they said, well, we need to do an MRI and we're not going to know until later tonight. and uh, Or, uh, yeah, that night or the next day, I think. And so I go back to my apartment. I'm on crutches and it's all bandaged up. And then the team doctor said he was going to call me and give me the results. Uh, And then so time goes by. It turns into like 9 p.m. at night. I still hadn't heard anything. And then he finally calls me. And he goes, hey, um, can you let me up? I'm out, outside your apartment. And I said, I hope you've brought beers because this doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he comes up. He basically tells me that um, the way in which he tackled me and it was like a one in a million and the fact that it chipped off a piece in the back of my knee 
um, that actually they didn't see on the initial scan and that I was going to have to have it pinned to fix. And it was like a pretty complex surgery. And because it's an open fracture in the knee, I had to go down to London basically two days from then to get surgery. So at this point, then I get a call from Johnny Evans um, on the phone. It was like a, a maybe a five-second phone call of just, you know, hey, you know, really sorry. It was a really terrible tackle from me. And, um, you know, I, I hope you get fit soon. And I was just like, yeah, thanks, and kind of hung up. And that was that. You know, he, he apologized. At the moment, I wasn't even focused on like being angry at somebody. It was more so just getting fit. So I go down, I have surgery. Fast forward six months later, I start playing again. I'm feeling good after preseason. We play, I played against Villa, I think, the next, uh, the next season. I, played, I felt really good. Next day, my knee was a total balloon. And then um, I tried to let it come down, tried to play against Arsenal at the weekend. Then my knee swelled up again. And then basically I stayed down in London to see the specialist. They decided they were going to take the pin out of my knee because that was rubbing off cartilage. So they go into my knee. They found out that the pin had worked its way back out of the knee. It should have been taken out earlier. It wasn't. It ended up making a huge hole in my knee basically with the cartilage. And so then they had to do microfracture. So I woke up thinking I was going to be out for six weeks just to let the, the pin heal up. And instead I found out that I was going to be out for a year. Um, so like that was the low for me, honestly. That that was the kind of the moment that I was just like, uh, I I I just I felt I probably I was probably depressed in a way, like the lowest I've been in my life, just not knowing when and if I would ever get back to playing football. I was feeling anger towards Johnny Evans. I was feeling, like, you know, just kind of lost as to why and how this went so wrong, and you know, why didn't I get? Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we pull the pin out? And and then quickly like. I would say two, three months after that, once I got back to like on the field or just doing work, you know, in the gym, I was, you know, like, okay, let's go, let's get back fit. Let's get back healthy. I think I did that no holding back series with my wife. And that was, that was like kind of the, the turning point where I just said, to myself, like, you have to do this. There's, there's no, there's no turning back and you need to get back on the field. And you have all these people that, you know, all the messages from fans sending me support and, and, you know, hoping that I got back on the pitch, et cetera. Like those were all the moments like when I was in those those dark places at times that, you know, fans and friends and family and, and, and my wife like really pulled me through and kept, you know, giving me motivation to, to go on one more time. But was, I can was understand there a sense of anger? Towards, I'm sorry, you said there was anger towards Johnny Evans, but was there a sense of anger towards the doctors and the way that they sort of seemed to mismanage your treatment? Or did you feel as though it was a, a pressure thing? Because obviously Bolton didn't start the season particularly well and there was some pressure to bring you back into the side too early. I, I think a combination of all of that. Um, you know, I know I know that everybody had my best interests um, at, at at heart. You know, I, I like uh, the, the chairman, uh, Owen Coyle. Uh, you know, Doc Tobin, who you know was a big part of Fab Mwamba's life being saved. And you know, I worked very closely with those guys. They they worked very closely with me to help develop a plan where I could go back to the U.S. and. I think if anything, I wish I would have seeked a consult before that we had done the the uh, you know the follow up surgery to make sure I probably would have come back to the United States to have that surgery with with a surgeon that I trust and one that had been with the U.S. national team. But again, that's all in hindsight, and and they didn't know what they were going to see once they opened up my knee and and went to pull out the pin and you know the surgeon that did it, Dr. Andy Williams, like he he'd done you know John Terry and he'd done a ton of big footballers. I just think my case was very complex and one that they were learning 
about on the go and was perhaps misdiagnosed. So I wouldn't say that there's anger. I would just say that there's a little bit of like, you know, just disappointment uh, looking back that, you know, we didn't take per perhaps some more measures that could have been handled differently. And now, you know, went fast forward to the ACL injury that I suffered in the reserve game against Bolton, like, um, you know, that was, uh, sorry, against Everton. I, I wish I'd taken longer. I think I was pushed back onto the field a little bit quicker. The players are always going to say yes. And I, I think I needed with my personality, I was always go a thousand miles per hour and, do everything in the gym, double sessions, triple sessions, kind of the way that I played on the field. And I think I needed somebody just to say, hey, Stu, you're not going to make it back to the World Cup. Let's focus on next season. Let's give you a full 10 months to get healthy. And I truly believe that I wouldn't have had, you know, the subsequent subsequent um, two or three ACL. I ended up with four ACL tears actually at the end on the other knee. So, oh, my God. Um, there you go. I can understand how difficult that must have been to, to sort of have that mentality and that incredible mindset to want to keep coming back and, and I can appreciate how, how, how difficult that must have been to, to keep injuring yourself every time you did that and it's great that you just mentioned that Everton game because I was going to bring you up and I couldn't remember at what stage that was but I remember sitting that Everton game seeing you play and it was quite obvious that you were in pain I think you had to go off early and it was just heartbreaking because you could almost tell what was happening and I'm sure you could as well and how frustrating that must have been um, to keep suffering that same injury all over again just because you, you were that yeah so you know. this one yeah this was all on the other knee this started with um it all it all stems from the johnny evans injury so you know my left my left knee was just when i was trying to get back to playing and uh, i i remember coming back in a game it was against everton and at home i think it might have been in the cup or something it but was yeah from the bolt fans was like one of those moments where I, again, where I just had goosebumps coming onto the pitch. It meant so much to me. I got back. Dougie Freeman, when I came back the, the other time with the ACL, with after my first ACL that I tore with the U.S. men's national team, like I, I came back in such good shape. And I think my body had a, had a tendency to deceive me because I would, you know, muscle tone very quickly and, and uh, I would do all the right stuff. And I was very body aware and I, my mechanics would be good. But internally, I don't think I healed as quickly as I did externally and so when I got back before that Everton game you know I passed every test in the book and had been training with the team for two weeks but you know I I didn't I my body wasn't ready to handle a game mm -hmm. and you know they Bolton saw me in training and and all my tests and they they put the game they moved the game to the Reebok um for me and then that made me feel a little bit more pressured as well and that I think you know four five four five thousand fans turned up that day and yeah. Um, you know, I, I took that one cut in, in like the 20th minute and I knew I tore my ACL again and I yeah. didn't want to believe it. And I kept playing and I still remember this feeling of like, I kept playing, I played a pass wide and then I crumbled in a heap one more yeah, time. That, and I, the, that was the moment you knew, gas, wasn't it? Yeah. The gas from the, uh, the crowd, I think everybody knew as well. And I got straight up from that and I ran down the tunnel because I was so embarrassed and just like devastated and i got into the uh, the training room and i sat there the trainer came in and i just said and my wife came running in and you know she well uh she was crying and you know i just said that's it i'm done i'm, I'm finished I'm, i can't do this anymore i know i've torn my acl i was crying and dougie freeman came in and he was just like come on just calm down you know let's just let's just uh, see how this settles and i knew what i'd done and then you know the acl i found out i'd torn it again 
And, you know, I, it, I had, again, probably a period of six to eight weeks where I was feeling the same thing, like, I'm not going to do this again. And then I got the bug again. I was thinking, all right, I can do it maybe one more time. Uh, and then I got back to training. But I just took a long-term approach. My, my surgeon in the U.S., I went back and had surgery. He basically said, look, if you want to play football again, you have to take a minimum of a year up. And my contract at Bolton had expired. And I think I just left it with the club. And, and Neil Lennon, I, I believe, ended up taking over shortly left after that. And we had a conversation on the phone. I came back to check in. And he was like, look, I'm, I'm not putting any expectations. But if you want to come back, you know that you can come back here whenever you want. And sure. that actually ended up being the last game of football that, uh, that I ever played, unfortunately. I mean that meant your mentality just it, it, it's absolutely incredible and obviously that all the managers recognise that throughout and you know it's the, the fans for sure like they recognise that more than anything and I think that's why they appreciate you more than anything for your your desire to come back and, and play for the club um, it, it's just unrivaled how, how how much of a true professional you are so it, it, it's inspirational. Did you not uh, think Stuart that that might have been a bit of an issue um, the fact that there was a lot of um, as I say, you know, Bolton obviously weren't performing particularly well and then that's when the decline started. Do you think maybe the fact that the managers felt a little bit of pressure from the fans to try and get you back into the team to see if you can inject some life into it might be the reason why they rushed you? Or do you, do you think it was more down to the fact that you were desperate to play? It's, I, yeah, I mean, I'm involved now with uh, Mallorca on the ownership side. And I, I think when you see it from the other side of the game, you 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 really want your best players back and 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 especially when when it's a, a situation like Bolton's typically when it's not going well and a manager has limited funds to spend and I think there was always the question to the doctors of okay when's he fit when's he going to be fit can we get him fit for this can we do this and I said it earlier but the, a player's tendency is always to say yes and we have to be um, many players uh, will have to be almost restrained in a way and medical doctors are, are not the most popular in the club because they have to make decisions for players a lot of times and they say, you know, no, we're keeping you out this week. You're not playing. And to tell a player that he's not playing when the player thinks he's fit or he's capable, um, it, it causes uh, unrest. And, you know, I was I would not have been that way, but I was just itching to play and I was dying to get back on the field, I think, because of all the... Uh, accumulation of injuries in the extended period of time that I felt uh, I missed and hearing the rumblings of like, you know, injury prone and, you know, um, you know, robbing a living and all this stuff, which I, I don't think many people typically said about me because I think they understood that I was always trying to get back, but it's, it's difficult. And, you know, it's difficult to say no to guys. And I, I definitely did feel a pressure though, from, you know, uh, from different places to, to get back quicker than perhaps, if I'd taken that full season, I guarantee that I still would have been playing today. But, you know, hindsight's easier to, to say. And I, if I felt good enough and the doctor cleared me, then, you know, uh, more often than not, that's that's going to be the right decision. And in my case, it, it, it wasn't, unfortunately. Sure. I mean, that's a pretty moving subject, to say the least. And I think we're, we're going to touch on another one that, that's relatively similar. I think James was going was gonna to sort of ask you about yeah, yeah, another close once my heart yeah uh, I remember you bringing up um, Dr Tobin earlier um, regarding the whole Muamba situation uh, where that happened while you were out injured how was how was watching that live uh, as a as a player as one of your teammates as someone that you really had chemistry on the field because watching it as a fan it was horrifying to say the least I can't imagine how it must have been from your perspective uh 
Yeah, that was that was one of the scarier moments I think um, I've I've ever seen, and you know, kind of been a part of with just like the aftermath as well, and and not knowing how Fab would be, and having having uh, formed a, a strong bond with Fab, and you know, realizing in that moment that football was secondary to everything, and you know, Fab's health and his, uh, you know, his, that was the most important in, in his family. And, you know, um, God, the limited, you know, access and information that we would have, like we would get stuff as a club, but, you know, they were very coy on how they were releasing things uh, because of, you know, because of how big a story it was. And, um, you know, because of his, how serious the nature was when it's medical like that involving his family. Right. And, I remember I got to see Fab probably two weeks after the fact once, you know, he was kind of coming back around and I I was back in the UK and I remember taking a train down with Klaas, Klaasnich and we went to see him. We spent probably an hour, two hours with him and, you know, just to see that big Moamba smile and laugh and, and like that was so, um, uh, it, it, that was like comforting in a way for us and, it's such a shame that he was never able to play football again after that and the complications that came with it. And, you know, he was younger than, than I was. Uh, I think Fab was probably what, 24, 25 when that happened. And um, yeah, it's just crazy to think about at at that age. And in many ways um, I think in the way he's handled it, like in as well is that, you know, he, he, that was an underlying issue that perhaps wouldn't have been exposed or could have been exposed in a way that would have actually uh, ended up in, in him dying. And I think, you know, to come out of it with his life and health and, and hopefully many, many years in front of him, uh, you know, that's the way that we have to look at that now, but gosh, I mean, I, I can imagine that as a fan as well, guys, but like being his teammate and him being a friend and, you know, you know going through that and, and thinking that he wasn't going to get through it was, was a pretty uh, tough time for everybody. Well, well, certainly. I, I, I remember it because I was listening to it on the radio and it just seemed to be the complete and utter shock from everyone around. They didn't, you know, no one really knew what was going on. And obviously we're very, very grateful that Fabrice was able to make you know, a recovery that, that, he, that he has. It's fantastic. I, I, I just, you know, look look at that and, and see that time at the club and just think, you know, obviously every, every everyone views us as, as cursed. We had David Weeter get his bad injury later on after, after Fabrice. We obviously had your situation, his situation, Mark Davis, Chungi, et cetera, et cetera. I just, you know, it seemed as though things were just conspiring against Bolton. But also, you know, you think you sort of count the human cost of these poor, you know, professional athletes who were playing Premier League football and then suddenly have it cruelly taken away from them. How, how, how do you think it, how easy is it, do you think, to deal with things like that? I know you've said, you know, maybe the No Holden Back series tried, helped you a little bit with yours, but obviously you get first-hand viewing and seeing how these guys deal with these problems. Yeah, it, there, there's a lot that, that doesn't you don't see in the public. And, um, you know, footballers, I think, more so in the UK than back here in the US, because now I am I do TV and I'm a broadcaster and we, we get a tremendous amount of access to the players here. And it's, it's very unlike in the UK where you're almost, uh, you know, protected from the media and it, there's limited moments in which you, you talk about or you do interviews or you know, other than now social media, where I think players have a new platform to share stuff that they want to, or a glimpse into their lives. Um, I can only imagine if Instagram was bigger when I was playing, I would have been absolutely all over it. Um, but, uh, 
No, you know, it, it's, it's a serious thing for, for guys that are injured and you hear about the mental struggle being as big as the physical one. And I, I think, and I've had players that have admitted to me in the past as well, that they didn't have the mentality to get through those types of injuries and it just weared on them. And, and I think, uh, you know, it was very difficult. A guy like Mark Davis, who was, who was, it was younger than me. Um, you know, didn't have, I think the same type of, um, mentality that I did. And he really, I would see him go through the highs and the lows continually. And he would kind of, you know, they would have, the club would have to make sure they kept a close eye on, on him and, you know, how he was eating, how he was, you know, making sure he wasn't, you know, going out and doing different things because he, that was his way of, of coping with the, you know, the, the, the loss of football and, and going through a tough time. And that's what, you know, Mark was able to, you know, get back healthy. Then he had a couple longer injuries and it was a shame he lost his career because he was so talented. But I think that's the fear and not many people realize that it's a possibility until it actually happens. And um, that's, I think, the hardest thing for players to deal with. In my case, I believe that my mentality came because I had a an injury when I was younger in high school when I was 16 years old. And I thought in that moment that I was never going to play football again, but I did. And I came through that um much stronger mentally because of that. And I think able to handle a lot more of those moments and the highs and the lows that come with it. And, you know, able to continually point myself in a positive direction and think at the end of the day, you're still a professional footballer. You're getting paid to play football for a living. Like if you're, if, if your career ended today, you could be proud of everything that you've done. And I think that that just kept me going and kept me motivated to get back to those incredible highs that I experienced, you know, when I was at my best. Do you think that after you retired, the transition that you made into the media career, that obviously, you know, I would, I would consider you, because obviously I'm biased given that you played for my football team, one of the faces of, of Fox's <laughs> coverage of football in, in that respect. Do you think that really, really helped you cope with retiring at such an early age? Yeah, I, having, having TV as an outlet for sure, because I think the biggest struggle for people that retire early is that they don't know what they want to do next, because all we've done our whole careers and lives is play football. And you know, in that sense, you're like given this incredible job and then all of a sudden it like snap your fingers. And if you haven't, you know, made enough money or, you know, to be able to retire and do what you want, you're still going to, you're still going to be, you know, itching to do something. And so I had TV networks in the U S reaching out to me while I was still doing my rehab over here. And I would just be doing little bits to see if I liked it. I, I realized I really liked it. And then when I finally made the decision to, to fully hang my, my boots up in 2016, you know, I hadn't played a game in two years at that point, but I was still working with the eye to coming back. Um, but I tore my ACL one more time and, and just basically in training, like really hard, the ramp up um, back here in the States. And then that was it for me. And uh, yeah, I think knowing that in my head, I had given it absolutely everything I possibly could. I, I could look myself in the mirror and say that I tried my my hardest. I I, I I mean, I tore my ACL four times and messed up my left knee and broke my right leg. I think I gave it everything I possibly could before my body basically said, like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Move on to the next part of your life. Like, this part is behind you now. Uh, you're not, You're never going to be able to get back to the level that you're at. And I think I came to, to terms with that and understanding that, and that really helped me kind of go into the next phase of life excited as opposed to, you know, bitter and thinking about what could have been or – you know, the, the, you know, where my football career would have led me and, you know, would I have been playing champions league or things like that, right? Like things that you just drive yourself nuts thinking about if, if you didn't do. Um, and, you know, I, it turns out I have my, my daughter the day I retired, 
uh, and then moved into broadcasting. That helped, so that's and really you haven't focused your mind on something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about anything else for three months, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. I, 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 we're going to hand over to Will for the um, the Twitter questions because like I said we've we've had quite a lot of them in a second. But I just wanted to ask in your in your position as um, you know quite high up in, in Fox News and covering. Um, the MLS and US, US men's national team. I'd just like to ask you what you think of the, the current state of, uh, of football over in America because to me, while the um, obviously the US men's national team didn't manage to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, it seems as though the MLS standards and the way it's attracting players seems to improve quite a lot. It's growing a lot and I, th- I think the stigma around uh, MLS has, has changed a lot in recent years and there's a, there's a big emphasis on driving and bringing young, uh, younger a talent mostly it's been from south america because those are ones that you know will come at a cheaper price and then there's been a couple good examples of guys like miguel amaron that they sold for a big number to newcastle and um there's a lot of guys on a lot of radars and there's you know covering the league league here week in week out like there's some real talent and the the speed of play is improving the facilities the stadiums the training grounds the the level of coaching you know terry on just came back now to montreal they have um, you know, two new teams. We have Nashville and Miami. There's going to be two more teams next year. Uh, you're going to have St. Louis, Sacramento, Austin, like these bra- brilliant, brand new places that all these, it's a big, um, it's a big draw. It's, 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 I mean, people were asking me a lot about it when I played in the UK. Now it's even more so. And the money is starting to match up with uh, certain levels of European football. It's not premier league money. And I think there's still a misconception for, you know, a certain type of player that they're going to get that type of money when they won't. But um, no, it's uh, it's it's really growing fast here. We just need to get our national team back on track um, because we have some talented younger uh, players coming through the pipes as well. I'm sure they're looking for the next Stuart Holden to anchor that midfield for them. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, hand over to hand over to Will now for uh, for the Twitter questions, and um, I wish you luck, Stuart, because some of these tend to get a little bit uh, eccentric, to say the least. <laughs> Oh, the very go. typical, uh, the very typical Bolton-esque. Uh, so we'll try and filter out the ones that aren't necessary or uh, or we've we've already covered. Uh, just one on a personal note, first, if I can. Uh, just going to ask, similarly to what Tom just asked about the state of uh, football in America as well. Uh, how closely are you following Bolton to the current day? You know, how are you how are you perceiving things as they are at uh, a Bolton now? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I follow, I still follow all the time. Actually, I got a lot of shit on Twitter for not having, uh, I posted my daughter's football kit collection and uh, they didn't have a Bolton kit to which I was replying to people that it's hard <laughs> to buy a Bolton kit in the United States. Uh, I don't even know if the club shop ships over here, so I need to sort that out, but we will sort um, one out for you. yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's been sad, I think, just watching. And, and you know, actually, a, a couple of people had mentioned to me at points about potentially being involved in an ownership group that was going to buy the club like a couple of years back, and that really excited me. But it never ended up coming to fruition, the guys that wanted to do the deal. I think the, the deal was very complicated with, you know, the, the outstanding debt and, uh, you know, the, the assets that the club had and, um, you know, who was going to be uh, in charge of the management. And it was just, it was really just like, for me, very, very sad and um, depressing to see the way that the club had been handled um, over a period of time and, and seeing the slow plight from championship to League One to League Two back to League One, um, you know, uh, and and now it just feels like, uh, you know, it's it's inevitable that the club's going to get relegated again. I feel for Keith Hill. I, I, I don't get to see many games, so I can't judge the team on how they're playing, but... 
I don't envy the task that he was given in that, you know, starting the season with the negative points deduction and basically half of a squad playing with kids for the first part of the season. And it was really cool to see some of those kids get an opportunity, but it wasn't realistic to think that that could be a squad that would work over the course of a season. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was disappointed that Parkey had to leave but because I thought he was great in getting the club promoted again and there was a good feel and uh, vibe to the club. But, you know, now that, um, yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it just seems that we're on the verge of, of League Two where I can't remember the last time. Did I say League Two earlier? I meant League One. Where, where When was the last time Bolton were ever in League Two? I mean, it must have been years, was it? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I think it was the 90s at least. No, it was the 80s. Uh, 80s. Yeah, 80s. Yeah, so I, I, it's it's um, it's a big club still, you know, and and I hope over time that um, there's the, the the right type of investment that this club deserves and the fans deserve to get it back to where, um, where it needs to be. It's going to be a long a long time before I think that we're talking about Premier League, but I hope that, you know, with with the right investment in players and academy and player, you know, younger players, etc., that 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 can all pull itself together, but. You know, I'll I'll forever be a fan of that club. That will never change, and I, I just hope it's just one singular season in League Two before uh, before we make our way back up. Yeah, I hope uh, we all so think hot that. Um, if I might, yeah, it's so of... hot. Woman, go on, go on, James. Yeah, sorry. If I might defer slightly, because uh, you did mention uh, the potential ownership thing with uh, with Bolton Wanderers and um, how it kind of led to that. Um, how how did that lead to you getting involved with uh, Mallorca, or is that a completely different story altogether? Uh, it's it's a different. Well, I mean, it's the same type of scenario, and that this was another group that approached me about being a part of it, <clears throat> and um, we actually looked at a couple clubs in the UK and and in Scotland and and other clubs in Spain before we ended up settling on Mallorca, and it's been a fantastic uh, experience for me. Um, you know, I'm obviously one of the minority partners as part of that, but, uh, you know, I have significant input on the, uh, the footballing side and, and, um, you know, it's, it's been a real journey for me to learn about the club and who knows, maybe one day that, that hopefully leads me to, to a role back in, in England or with Bolton or, you know, however, I, I, I really enjoyed my time in the UK. I have, I have deep roots there with family and, uh, my family and I have, my wife and I have talked about at some point ending up back in you know, the UK or in Europe as, as part of football. Uh, I don't know where life's going to lead me. I love what I do now. I don't know how long that's going to last. I'd love to do this for the rest of my life, but you never know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we looked at um, clubs ended up in Mallorca, but it was the same type of thing where I had a couple calls from people who were saying, hey, we're, we're looking at potentially buying Bolton Wanderers. We'd love to have you as part of the ownership group and, you know, sit on the board and all that stuff. And I was like, yes, 100%. I would love to do that. And it just never... It just never really worked out where those groups got it, unfortunately, uh, and and you know the way that they, it was all handled with the administrators and and whatnot. No, it's a shame that that never materialised with ourselves, but obviously, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it's going great guns at uh, Mallorca. So obviously, we wish you all the all the best with that. I mean, you've obviously have had or are rather your, your taste of ownership now. Have you ever really considered management, Stu? No, um, I, I don't see myself as a coach uh right now i get i get asked that a lot i think maybe also because i'm still i'm only 34 um and in footballing terms that's still pretty uh, <laughs> i know it'd be getting towards the end of my career but it's it's still crazy to think that i've retired uh, what maybe uh five years ago now four or five years oh, yeah, and, yeah. and i'm still only 34 um so I, you know i don't i haven't taken my badges i i, I don't 
I don't necessarily see myself as a coach. Now I know a lot of players say that and then they end up coaching or they'll get an opportunity to, to coach. But I've, I've kind of enjoyed having been in the daily, um, it, it, it feels wrong to call it a grind because you're, you're getting paid to play football, but do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. just like the, like the, the all day, every day, just on and training and back and training and training and training. And you're just like, it's physically taxing. And I think, sure having taken a pause on that to spend time with my family and to have more time at home with my daughter, who's young, I don't necessarily want to get back into a career in like management that would just be so time encompassing. And, you know, it could also be, I could be sacked in a year and be, you know, dragging my family around the country. I, it doesn't really interest me uh, at this moment yeah, in time. No, I can completely appreciate that. And obviously family life comes first. Um, and obviously we're, we're aware of your, sort of location and, and and your friendship with uh with, with your neighbors uh as you've sort of shown on social media and uh eddie who's our managing director at line of dinner sadly he can't be with us tonight but he, he's left a question for you in relation to that he just said uh what what's the best thing chrissy teagan's cooked for dinner <laughs> <laughs> uh, um yeah her cooking's phenomenal um they 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 the barbecue stuff that they do at their house and the meals that they put together. And, you know, they had a big Super Bowl party a, a month or so ago that was just full of, you know, all her, uh, her recipes and um, I think pigs in a blanket, but like in a hot dog. And, yeah. I mean the, the stuff for that, that she cooks is, uh, <laughs> is off the charts. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. And uh, I believe that Eddie has some, uh, some family connections over in the States as well. So I'm sure you'll know what this is, although I don't. Uh, or at least I'm hoping you will. He's also said, uh, is there anything better than a Clemson tailgate? Oh, man, Clemson uh, tailgate, big party before all the football games. I, I uh, Yeah, being on a college campus in Clemson with, you know, 30,000, 40,000 um, uh, people and just drinking and, uh, you know, many above average looking people as, as well <laughs> when I was back in college, uh, got myself into a little bit of trouble, so... Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd survive going to put that but man. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> very humble. Be careful. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Uh, Johnny Tickles asked, uh, what made you leave the dazzling lights of Houston for the star-studded lights of Horwich? I mean, obviously, we've discussed your relationship with, with Owen Coyle and how that came about. and we were, I, I wasn't actually aware of that situation with Burnley, but what, was there anything outside of, uh, of Coyle himself that, that attracted you to the club? I mean, obviously, you, you yeah. found the relations there, of course, but is there, is there anything else? I, I was just dying to play in the Premier League. And, um, I, you know, I had played my four-year contract in Dynamo. Um, every year they offer me a new deal. And um, the way that MLS worked, especially towards younger players, the, the deals weren't very favorable. I was making $30,000 uh, a year, a season. And my increase was like 32, 34, 36. So my last season, I made 36000 uh, for the entire season. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I'd, I'd made the national team, the best 11, like all-star team, all that stuff. But I played mm-hmm. that to be a free transfer so I could go to the Premier League. And so it was my it was my dream um, ever since being a kid in Scotland growing up watching the Premier League. Like I really had wanted to be there. I was very familiar with Bolt because um, my grandma's uh, – hold on a minute. I've got to get it all. Yeah, my grandma's sister – Don't get it wrong. <laughs> Yeah, grandma's sister's daughter, uh, her husband, that that entire family were just diehard Bolton fans. And so Bolton was like big in our family as well. 
uh, even though I grew up, yes, I hate to say it, I think it's out there anyways. I grew up a United fan, even though I just can't mm. support Man United. <laughs> that jo- the Johnny he Evans was going game. so well, Steve. Why did you have to say that? <laughs> no. Uh, but trust me, I don't support them at all anymore in any fashion. <laughs> I wonder why, eh? Yeah, exactly. It is because of a one Johnny Evans uh, prick. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you, thank we, you. We, we, we need to get that uh, pinned up, honestly. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm um, that. Yeah, no, yeah, make that an audio clip. I'm, I'm quite happy with it. Uh, yeah, no. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, no. Just um, I, I had the the club uh, kind of already under knew it, understood it, and then uh, when I when I when I learned that that was an opportunity and a possibility to go there, it was it made me very excited. So I was I was always gonna leave the the hot swamps of uh, Houston, Texas to to make my way to rainy Bolton, England. <laughs> Such the attraction. Uh, obviously, you just touched on Johnny Evans there again. I promise not to mention his name too many times. Uh, I think this is the last time we'll mention him tonight anyway. Uh, but Harry Spinkman said, uh, I mean, this is an interesting one. You can choose whether or not you'd like to actually answer this. Um, what would you do if you went one-on-one in a ring with Johnny Evans? Um well, I'd probably try to knock him out, but I don't think I would actually. You know, I'm 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 five ten, hundred and sixty pounds. I think he's I think he's got me by, you know, a good thirty, forty pounds plus a few inches. And um yeah, I, I'd probably just like have a chat with him and then uh sure. and then yeah. And then poison his drink up. And, and the chat punch. and by chat, I mean like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Oh, I just—you love to hear how much you—you you, you still got a bit of a, a despise to him. It's—I'm it, sure all Bolton fans can echo that until this day. Uh, Scott Halliwell said, uh, "I said a while back on Facebook that if he asked my wife out, I'd pack her bags." He said, "Hi, cheers, mate. My question now is: now that we're mates, does he want to come round for a brew when all this has died down?" <laughs> <laughs> It depends what we're drinking. I, I think I, I comment comment on Twitter actually. Oh, and and he, I better make sure the bags are packed before I get there. So, sure. <laughs> paid for as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah, we've answered that one about you. You said you'd remain a Wanderers fan. I'm I'm sure that that we'll, we'll stick with that and we'll quote you on that, no doubt. Um, what was that? Will you ever come back to Bolton to watch a game? Can we expect you to see you back at the at the Reebok Tours, you? Do you know, um, it, it was mentioned, it was rumoured, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but that um, somebody had contacted me at some point about potentially having a Legends game at the end of the season, this season. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I would guess that that's um, severely uh, in jeopardy yeah. at this point. Um, but I was uh, genuinely considering making uh, the trip over to play at the Reebok one more time um, as part of that game. And if it did go ahead, I would definitely be interested in um and and playing i told my wife and she's like oh god like don't get hurt and I'm, well, i play football twice a week now like okay. with my mates and um you know I'm, I'm still very active considering my injury history but i told her i was like i just need to go play on that pitch like one more time and just not get hurt and like mm-hmm. come off on my own like my own accord and like clap the fans and just feel like you know that's like kind of this unfinished point in my life i feel like still so if that ever happened and they ever organized it i would uh, i would be there in a flash for the game sure i mean we never want to force you into that and get yourself uh, you know I, I was going to ask what 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 your situation is with your injury now as to you know if, if you were to to try and play a full 90 minutes now would you end up injuring yourself do you think i mean i'd obviously hope not but 
you know, is it impacting your daily life at all still, or do you, have you made it sort of complete for recovery now? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't live daily without pain. That's for sure. Like my left knee mm-hmm. still hurts, but if you if if you um, if you can see the the level of um, activity that I can still maintain, you know, I'm doing yoga with my wife. I do you know, spin classes, I run outside, I play football, I play tennis, I, you know, I do, I do maintain a, a lot of stuff. And, and sometimes we end up playing for 90 minutes plus. Now, granted, that's not it. You know, if I, I think if I tried to run out there with, uh, you know, fully fit, uh, informed professionals at Bolton right now, I'd probably look an absolute uh, munter. Um, but uh, I, I, I still consider myself uh, able to do that. And I actually hosted a charity game two years ago, in the U.S. called uh, Kicking for Houston, where I played for well over 90 minutes. So I, I don't think I don't go out there and think like, "Oh shit, I don't want to get hurt," you know. Um, yeah. So that uh, I, I I would know I'd be fine for that. No, of course. <laughs> I mean, you can't live in fear of it, I suppose, can you? As long as you're confident with playing and, and you know your limits, then that's uh, that's sensible, yeah, exactly. I suppose. Uh, we'll get on to a bit of the cliche questions at the very end, but uh, before that, Kev's asked, uh, "What do you miss most about living in the UK?" Uh, Sunday roast. Oh, oh yes. I love, a, love me a good Sunday <laughs> roast down at, down at Carver. Yeah. Lovely accent. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, um, I loved, I, I actually miss even, I love my life here in the US and uh, the lifestyle's great, but I, I missed like where football was just um, everything. You know, in the UK, it was, it's just it means so much to people. It's all that's on the on the telly. It, you know, it's all that's talked about. Like there was a real, um, it, it, like that sat well with me because that's just kind of how I grew up, and it's still how I am. I watch everything. I, I follow everything. Um, you know, I am up to date on all the news. I, I I I cover it for a living, so that helps. But I'm just a football guy, and I I love that about the culture in the UK and the the sarcastic wit and uh, yeah, Sunday roasts as well. That was. Um, that's one of my favorite uh, things to do in the UK. That's a great you see answer. The that the country's come to, Stu, without football, it's it's pandemonium over us. <laughs> I can imagine everybody must be playing football manager now. Yeah, I think it's free now, isn't it, for a week? So I think that's uh, everybody's hooked on that now. <laughs> um, Brian Sweeney's asked, I know you've probably been asked this so many times, but I think we've got to do it for his sake. Um, who was the best player you've ever played with and against? Oh, Man, um, that, that's that's a tough one. I, I think uh, I'll go with played with at Bolton. Um, either Gary Cahill, or like from a few from a just a pure talent standpoint, um, Daniel Sturridge was just unbelievable in, in oh, training. How can I forget? Yeah. Just yeah, just just raw, like could beat you quickly on the dribble and smash one in. The best finisher I ever played with was Ivan Klasnich. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I would say those guys. Uh, Studge, Studge was uh, in his short stint at Bolton. He was just on another level, and obviously another player that you know had had unfortunate injuries too, which which uh, which sucks for for him also. Yeah, Kevin yeah, Davis I mean, said the same about Sturridge too. So you're not certainly on your own in that opinion. No, definitely. Was there any particularly underrated players at all that you thought you know that didn't quite get the recognition that they deserved at Bolton? Um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I think you know Kevin Davis got tons of recognition, so I can't say him. Uh, let me think. 
I'm trying to think of somebody that wasn't really uh, heralded. I mean, I, the fans lo- love Chungy, right? But I think uh, so. I think everybody. Sure. I think Fab's probably quite a good shout. I mean, he 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 didn't quite grab all the all the headlines and the attention, but uh, you know, he's yeah. a fantastic player on his day. Yeah, I would say that for for Fab. Um, I think Paul Robinson was was quietly a very solid player for us. Uh, sure. You know, as much as you know, it would have been good to see Marcos Alonso kind of you know take take uh, an opportunity earlier to, to develop. Um, it's, it's crazy to think about the players that we had at the club, right? Rodrigo and Marcos and, um, Don't, Stu, honestly, and nice. <laughs> yeah, Jack Wilshire. We, we, joke, we joke every transfer window that uh, we were once linked with Rivaldo. I mean, can you imagine if that would have happened? That would have been decent. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> we still remember that he stood outside the, the ground waiting for a deal to this day. But <laughs> um, I think I know the answer to this final one, but I'll ask you anyway. Uh, Liam Bloor has said, what is your best memory of your time at Bolton? Yeah, uh, that's the, it's the Take dark. a wild guess. Sure. <laughs> I mean, my first goal was a special one against Wolves away. Uh, um, you know, the, the moment I told you guys as well, where I, I came back from... An, an extended uh, injury period. And I've been trying to find the clip on YouTube. I couldn't find it actually. Of, I remember somebody had posted a, a fan crowd video uh, of, of the, like them chanting, you know, uh, Stu SA. And like, that was a moment that I still remember and have goosebumps uh, when I watch it. And then, you know, the, the, yeah, nothing's going to beat the, the, the goal against Blackburn. Um, for, for me, that was that, like, you know, the look on big Sam's face, he got sacked <laughs> after that game. Um, you know, the, I remember the match of the day doing an analysis of showing Samba coming back from like basically getting a drink of water um, as they'd scored and didn't get back into position. And that allowed me to, you know, squeeze between them and just like everything yeah. was perfect in that goal. So, yeah, that, that's a match of the day trying to take the credit away from you. It's a bloody good finish. They should, they should be focusing <laughs> on that, not where Samba was. Yeah, exactly. I know. I, know. I, remember, I remember the first time I got dug out by match of the day. It was for a game against Blackburn, I think, Martin Keown dug me out for like drifting out of position on one of the goals and I was thinking bloody hell oh no one takes Martin Keown <laughs> seriously chance, don't man. you worry yeah, don't listen to him yeah exactly yeah. it's full of rubbish no, but, uh, that's been absolutely fantastic honestly I've really appreciated you answering all the fans questions for us and uh, our own as well and I'll, uh, I'll hand you back to Tom for the close but thank you so much Stu yeah, the, the, the other question that I'm surprised that no one's come up with Stu because it's something that I only found <laughs> about um, going on your uh, on your Wikipedia page how does it feel to have had your brother take the limelight away from you for uh, that plane incident? Oh, that plane incident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, plane bay is his, his, uh, his shining moment, actually. Um, yeah, it was it was such a surreal thing with the, the internet today and social media. And, you know, I was at the World Cup and he texts me and says, I think I've gone viral. And I said, I think you need to get that checked. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Are we making jokes at this at a time like this? Yeah, now, he said check Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I looked, and he this whole thing had been filmed of him. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's Plain Bay, you uh, and Holden. But yeah, it was it was crazy. Like it, it, in a day of in a span of like three days to a week, he just completely blew up on the internet, and this story went nuts. And it was all anybody wanted to ask me about for like. A short period and i'm out at the world cup covering you know the biggest tournament of my life from a broadcasting perspective and it was like every interview that i did was like so tell me about plane bay and i was just like <laughs> oh, come on 
Must have been frustrating. I think you can forgive us for asking now, though. It's that far down the line. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's, 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 and he'll, my brother will be buzzing off the shelf. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I'll, I'm pleased to give you some props. Anyway, um, honestly, Stu, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I can't tell you how grateful we are for your time. I know, obviously, at, at the moment, you're possibly at a bit of a loose end. And so I thank you for doing us this favour. But honestly, the, the amount of, uh, high regard that you're held in by the fans and by us personally, you know, cannot be understated. So genuinely, thank you for your service to the club and thank you for doing this. Phenomenal. Thank you, Stu. Yeah, no, th thank you guys. And, you know, to, to anybody that made it an hour and 10 into this, um, you're, you're a true diehard fan. And honestly, I, I do appreciate the, all the messages and the comments and, you know, anytime that I, I talk about the club or, or anything, it's, it's typically filled with Bolton fans or on my Instagram and, you know, I I, uh, I really appreciate that, and I'll forever be a part of the club and uh, and its history. But I I still follow and am a big fan of the club to to date, and 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 hope for nothing but the best uh, of success. And keep up the good work, guys. I appreciate you uh, having me on. No problem at all. Um, if you, if you follow the podcast, Stu, we always have um a, a signature way of signing off the show, um, which I'm sure you'll catch on when you hear the other two lads do it. Um, so thank you very much for listening to episode 133 of the Line of Vienna Street podcast with special guest Stuart Holden. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, please give us a like on iTunes. Go over and listen to it on Megaphone or anywhere else where we put this out. But if that's all we've got time for, boys, it's time to say goodbye. So say goodbye, James. Goodbye, James. Say goodbye, Will. Goodbye, Will. Say goodbye, Stu. Goodbye, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you very much for listening. It's goodbye from me. Salabi.